Warning! Deep Fix contains adult content and language. So if you don't touch processed foods but eat gummy bears, this may not be for you. And now, Deep Fix. And welcome to Deep Fix, where we get our fix of all of our favorite obsessions. This season, we are doing a deep dive of the epic Bravo TV's Real Housewives of New York City, seasons one through three. Now, let's get our fix. All right, it is time for our deep dive into Bravo TV's Real Housewives of New York City, seasons one through three, which debuted on March 4th, 2008. And when I was thinking about what our first deep dive should be, I could not stop thinking about the Real Housewives of New York City, specifically the first three seasons, which I think fundamentally reshaped the Housewives franchises, all of them moving forward, and how the Housewives behaved, how the production companies behaved with the Housewives, uh, the whole setup of the show. uh, It it was just a pivotal, a pivotal franchise, especially in the beginning in that original cast. So we're going to be breaking it down episode by episode, moment by moment, because it was juicy. It was probably some of the juiciest housewives television and some of the most real housewife television that we've seen. Now, for those of you who need a little bit of background, the New York housewives were the second franchise from Bravo TV following the real housewives of Orange County. Um, and being a Bravo-holic, I will admit myself, I was introduced to the Real Housewives franchises through Orange County. But I think I share an experience with with many other Bravo-holics and Real Housewives fans that the New York City Housewives, especially those first several seasons, is really what dragged me into the Bravo universe um, you know, for good. First, it was, you know, Queer Eye, of course. I think Queer Eye dragged me into just the Bravo you know, being in my in my conscious <laughs> and, and and knowing it was even around. And then Real Housewives of Orange County came around, got me interested, and then New York City just blew my mind and I was hooked. So as I said earlier, New York City Housewives uh, made their debut on March 4th, 2008 on Bravo, the network that Andy Cohen has put on the map. And thank you to our friend Andy Cohen and our family at Bravo TV for giving us the franchise that is uh, the Housewives, specifically the Real Housewives of New York. The first season starred Bethany Frankel, Countess Luanne de Lesseps, uh, Ramona Singer, Jill Zarin, and Alex McCord. Uh, Kelly Ben Simone joined the uh, the cast in season two, and then Sonia Morgan joined the cast in season three as they were preparing for Bethany Frankel's exit as she was pregnant and filming her own show at that point. But for this first season, we only had the original five ladies, Bethany, Luann, Ramona, Jill, and Alex. And a fun fact about the show is that it was originally entitled not Real Housewives of New York City, but Manhattan Moms. 
it was meant to be a standalone show, not part of a franchise, until the higher-ups at Bravo decided to make the Housewives show from OC a franchise uh, across the country. And that's how we get Real Housewives of New York City. And in fact, I remember, I think it might have been Jill Zarin throwing some shade at Bethany Frankel. But I remember her, you know, claiming that she got her on the show, especially because producers at the time, you know, Bethany Frankel didn't have any children and was dating a a man that she was hoping to become engaged to, which would, if she married him, make her a stepmother, which was her angle of the Manhattan moms. And I remember Jill Zarin, her castmate and former friend, uh, spoiler alert, was that, you know, she was claiming something about the fact that she had to convince producers that her story about being a soon-to-be stepmom was relevant for the Manhattan Moms, you know, t- title and, and concept for the show. And I, I think it was a little bit of Jill Zarin wanting credit for getting Bethany on the show, but so be it. All right, let's get to our breakdown of the episode, season one, episode one of Real Housewives of New York City. It's time for a little segment I like to call Mention It All. All right, so with Mention It All, we're of course mentioning it all with each of the episodes. And I thought since this is the inaugural episode of Real Housewives of New York City, we do a little something extra in terms of the taglines and the intro to the episodes this season, which was just fabulous. So of course, we start off with each of the ladies being introduced. And this is one of the seasons, or I should say cities of the franchises, where they've got each of the families stand behind the picture of the wife as they're being introduced and saying their tagline. So we start off with Alex. She's in this fabulous jungle number, kind of a satin gown. Then it goes to Luann, who's in a brown, very sophisticated outfit. And I should say Alex has her husband, Simon Van Campen, and there are two kids behind him, behind her. Luann's got the Count and their two children, and I believe Aston, their dog, is with them. Then it goes to Bethany, who's in a pretty blue and white dress. And she, being the orphan, as she calls herself, only has her dog Cookie behind her, where the family usually stands. And then they move to Jill, who's wearing what I call the infant infamous brown ruched satin dress. And I believe she's even said before being interviewed somewhere that she hated this dress. Um, But she's just in not a very flattering dress. And she's got, of course, Bobby, her husband and Allie, her daughter. And I believe Ginger, her her dog is with them as well. And then we've got Ramona, who's in a sexy purple corset dress. And she's got her husband, Mario, and her daughter, Avery, and I believe their dog, Coco, behind her. Now let's take a walk down memory lane before we dive into the episode itself and listen to the original season one intro and taglines. To a certain group of people in New York, status is everything. I never feel guilty about being privileged. New York City is my playground. I ride with a fabulous circle of people. I like making my own money. I find that an aphrodisiac. There is something so nostalgic about listening to that intro music and the 
their taglines. I don't know what it is. I just, I loved these, these seasons were so good. It's just classic peak housewives, in my opinion. I just, I adored them. Season one, episode one, Real Housewives of New York City. It's entitled Meet the Wives. And we open up with all the ladies preparing for the summer in the Hamptons. Most of them are packing up their homes in New York City and getting ready to head out to their even more fabulous homes in the Hamptons. We first open up and we meet Ramona Singer. And she's talking about being sexually oriented and youth and that at her age, she's very proud of the way that she looks and it's showing her, you know, cameras, there's snippets of the camera following her around and her and her husband, Mario, you know, they're young, they're attractive. Ramona, you, you would never guess it and you die when you find out how old she is. I think she's in her, you know, early to mid fifties when this is filming. She looks 35. She looks absolutely ridiculous. You know, Ramona used to be a bodybuilder. We come to find out she's, you know, works out consistently throughout, you know, the decades that we know her on the franchise. She's always in great shape. She's got a fabulous body. She works with Dr. Sharon Geezy, who we actually meet in this very first episode and says she likes to do the non-invasive type of plastic surgery um, and heavily denies any kind of you know, what she considers plastic surgery, but it's perfect. We open up, we meet her. She is a businesswoman. Like I said, she and her husband, they're very attractive. Um, they seem to be party animals. They're at least presented as such. They're, you know, following them around to parties and you see them dancing around and, you know, their daughter being embarrassed by them. Um, we meet their daughter, Avery. She's 12 years old, which is so fun. If you follow the show as long as we do now, Avery is a grown woman, very responsible, beautiful, great lady, which you get a sense of from even this very first episode. But it's it's so funny to look back and see her at 12, you know, sitting and making faces as Ramona's wearing sexy outfits and trying stuff on in their house. So anyway, we meet Avery um, and they're going through outfits in, in Ramona's closet and you hear Ramona talking about how important it is that you be financially independent as a woman. And you'll see this is a through line of Ramona's throughout her entire time on Housewives. And we find out it stems from her background later on. And we see her explaining her work and she wants to raise a strong daughter and um, she runs a company where she, you know, kind of sells overstock products to, I think, things like TJ Maxx. Um, she's talking about meeting Mario at the gym and her thong and, you know, all of that stuff. And like I said, we meet Dr. Sharon Geezy for the first time, who was her plastic surgeon. I know she would balk at me saying that word because she always vehemently denies that she has plastic surgery. But for lack of a better word, her plastic surgeon, who we see many times throughout, you know, multiple seasons of the show, uh, and it just, it gives you a good overview of Ramona. From there, we are introduced to Jill Zarin, a fast-talking, heavy Long Island accent, um, socialite type of a lady. And we hear her, she's talking about the small circle of New York City high society and the price of admission and how, you know, she grew up in, in Long Island in the Jewish ghetto, but she married Bobby Zarin, who they run Zarin Fabrics, Zarin Fabrics, if you know anything about Jill Zarin. She mentions Zarin Fabrics a lot. She goes over um, all of her invitations that she had that month in her social calendar. And like I said, we meet her husband, Bobby. 
Abby and her daughter, Allie, um, who is not her daughter from Bobby. Allie is her daughter from her first marriage. And you can see that because part of the first clip of us meeting Jill is showing the uncomfortable and strained relationship between Bobby and Allie and how much Jill, you know, is trying to make them become best friends. And there's just a lot of what I would consider awkward <laughs> um, interactions um, on this first episode between Allie and Bobby. But anyway, so we meet Jill. She's talking about high society, Zarin Fabrics. In fact, we go down to Zarin Fabrics with she and Bobby. We meet their team. Um, you know, we go in the warehouse. We get to kind of see their their production. I believe it's on the Lower East Side. And we focus back around onto Allie. And again, there's just lots of uncomfortable relation, relationship stuff with she and her stepdad, Bobby. Although I will say I heard Jill Zarin. I think she was getting interviewed by Heather McDonald on Heather's podcast. And they were talking about Allie felt a little bit of uncomfortableness because they had to reenact some of the stuff with Bobby. And it was already uncomfortable. It's her stepdad that she's not that close with. But then they had to reenact stuff for the cameras. So, you know, who knows really what was at play there? Um and so, you know, you can see Jill forcing it. She's saying, go show your stepdad the clothes we bought today for school. And there's another uncomfortable, you know, situation where she's trying to show him the clothes and he's paying attention to his computer and his, his you know, Blackberry um, and paying attention to things with work. And you just, you, you feel for it. It just, you can feel the uncomfortableness through the screen. And then we see, you know, Jill's condo on the Upper East Side and, um, you can tell Jill for Jill, you know, she says New York City is the center of the universe. And for her, that is true. So from there, we are introduced to Bethany Frankel. She's talking about she's a natural food chef and she wants to be the the modern Martha Stewart. And so she's going into her business and you see her cooking and wearing an apron and it's healthy food, etc. And then she also starts talking about how she was engaged several times previous uh, you know, to where she is currently. And she was a runaway bride and um, she really doesn't have any parents to speak of. And she was raised at the racetrack. Um, and, you know, you can hear that she talks about wanting a family and I'm sure most of that, and you kind of see it play out over the years, stems from her lack of, of family and how she's referencing that she doesn't have parents and, um, you know, at least a relationship with them. And, you know, her career seems to be what's driving her. She seems very driven. And we find out, of course, she is. And we meet Jason. And that's not Jason Hoppy, who she married and is now infamously divorced from. But Jason number one, who she was dating on the show and had some very awkward moments with, to say the least. So we were introduced to Jason number one, her boyfriend, um, they've been dating for about six months at that point. He has kids. Um, he she wants to live downtown and is looking to move. And so we get we get that stage of kind of that single woman looking to discover what's next in her relationship. From there, we meet Alex McCord. Um, she she comes in talking about social status, and then we meet her husband Simon Simon Van Campen. She did not take his name. And they're getting pedicures together, and she's talking about how they're attached at the hip. And he works at the Hotel Chandler, and it, it almost makes it seem like he owns it, but he doesn't, at the Hotel Chandler. And 
She works in visual merchandising. We are introduced to their kids, their two young boys, Johan and Francois. They have a French au pair. They live in Brooklyn, um, you know, in a in a brownstone, in a in a one of those kind of swanky neighborhoods in Brooklyn. And there's just something off about Simon, I have to say, whatever. You get the creepy vibes right away. And then from there, we're introduced to the Countess Luanne de Lesseps. And she comes in talking about, you know, looking and feeling youthful and her former modeling career and how she was over in Europe and how she met her husband, Count Alexander de Lesseps, and the history of the de Lesseps family and you know, the Statue of Liberty and the Suez Canal. And um, she travels the world. It sounds like they go to Switzerland often. And she stays in New York City. We meet their two children, Victoria, who's 12 at this time, and Noel, who's 10. And again, it's so funny to see them because they're grown adults now in their 20s. And so it's, it's, it's fun to go back and watch these episodes and just see where everybody is and how young everybody is really. And really before fame hit them, which I think is the most fun part about watching it all. Um, but anyway, she, um, they're escaping to the Hamptons for the summer, packing up their townhouse with their, you know, combination of maids slash nanny, Rosanna, Rosie, who's just, you fall in love with her immediately. She's so sweet. And so we then have Bethany who really becomes the Greek chorus of not only the episode, but the show. And she's explaining the Hamptons to the audience. And, you know, I'm not from New York City. I wouldn't have known about the whole migration to the Hamptons of the wealthy in the summer and, and, and New York society and how that all works. So you see her explaining it and it's, it's great. And she's a perfect person to play the Greek chorus because, you know, she's a little anti-Hampton. She's not rich. She's, she's poor, you know. No, she doesn't belong in that group yet. She's not invited to those parties, you know, short of working them as a, as a chef and a caterer. So she's explaining the Hamptons and, and all of society and how it works. And it was that that part of itself is fascinating, especially from her perspective, because she's so wry and sharp, <laughs> sharp tongued. And so then we as we everyone gets out to the Hamptons, we then meet Jill's Hamptons home, which is, of course, beautiful. You know, they talk about the costs of living there. Their friends are there. And so, you know, hey, they've got to live there. And I will say Ramona's house. I, I, I've always been impressed by Ramona's house in the Hamptons, that that backyard and her pool. It's it's beautiful to me. I was, you know, I remember watching this going, holy crap, these people, these people have money. You know, these aren't the McMansions. Um, they, she talks about how she met Luann and talks about how she met Ramona. And that's that's um, when I should say Jill is talking about those two things. And you can tell she really likes that Luann is a countess. And um, for it's kind of funny because you come to find out that Ramona and Jill knew each other for years, right? They, they weren't best friends, but they definitely ran in the same circles. And when Jill's talking about how she met Ramona, she, you know, talks about you know, we, I barely kind of know her. She very, she very much minimalizes how much they socialize, um, which is kind of hilarious if you come to learn their catty relationship over the years, but I love it. And so we see Jill playing tennis with a pro and they, you know, many of these women have all of these tennis courts are in their backyard. So they're playing tennis in their backyard with their pro that they've hired for the summer. And Jill's with uh, one of Ramona's old pros who she starts drilling for, you know, information on how to beat Ramona, um, uh, which is hilarious. And then she awkwardly, then we see her talking with her daughter, Ollie about a weight loss de detox camp. 
And, you know, her daughter does have terrible arthritis. I think she has rheumatoid arthritis. Um, And she, you know, wants to lose weight, but still, it's so awkward. And you just feel for Allie. You just, anyway. But so you see Jill talking to her her daughter about a detox weight loss camp. And then they go to Ramona's house, which, like I said, is absolutely fabulous. And she's playing tennis on her tennis court with her professional that she's hired for the summer. And she's talking about the competition with Jill. And, you know, they're going to be playing tennis against each other. And you can tell both of them seem to be completely consumed with it. I think that probably they both know they're going to be on television. This is the first season, right? You're not used to the cameras. And they're both competitive. And I think they both want to win. So you can tell it's on both of their minds. And from there, we then switch to Alex McCord and her husband, Simon. And it's really hilarious (laughs) what they do here because they play in almost, I I would call it a royal music. It's like, you know, it it just has a very British royal vibe to it. The entry music they play when we start meeting Alex and her husband. And they're clearly doing the it to mock them once you see who Alex and Simon are and who they're portrayed on the show and how they behave. And it's hilarious. So, you know, they lead in with the royal royal music and they're packing their bags for St. Bart's in their Brooklyn apartment or townhome, I should say. And, you know, it's it's interesting. And again, I'm not from New York City, so I, I wouldn't know this. But, you know, he sits there and he's, you know, the, her husband, Simon, is very, he also is Australian, so he's got his accent. And, you know, he says, going to the Hamptons is akin to being at work for us. So we're going down to St. Bart's this summer, right? And it's it's like, okay, whatever. It's a, it's a bit pretentious, just even if you don't really understand what's going on. And what's so great is that later on, Jill Zarin calls him out for all the world to see. Because like I said, I wouldn't have known this, but, you know, Jill says, she basically basically points out that all of New York City, the wealthy, the true wealthy in New York City, over this winter time, they all go down to St. Bart's and spend the winter time there. And no, in the summertime, they all go to the Hamptons. No one goes to St. Bart's in the summertime. And so as she as she very uh, strongly points out one one episode, you know, the room that you paid $250 for, I paid $2,000 for. And so I just, I love the pretension of it all. But anyway, so, you know, they're speaking French with their kids um, at the beach and we see them and then it just, the you know, let the awkwardness continue with this guy. It's like you get the creepy vibes from Simon right away. Um, and so they're at the beach and Alex is in a thong string bikini, I should say, which is fine. I mean, she's very tall and statu- statuesque and has a great figure. And then they pan to her husband, Simon, who's already awkward. And he's wearing a Speedo. And of course, he's from Australia. I know he's not American. And that's probably what they wear over there. But it just adds to the creepiness that he's in, you know, a little Speedo running around on the beach. Anyway, uh, we we flash back then to Ramona's backyard pool. She's fighting with her friend Cindy, who's this beautiful blonde gal. They're all in their bikinis. You know, it's summertime. By like I said, Ramona's pool is absolutely beautiful. They're all hanging out there, and her friend Cindy, who I believe is a Playboy model, um, and she's she's absolutely gorgeous. She kind of gets into a fight with Ramona, and you can tell Ramona's maybe embarrassed because the cameras are there, and they're trying to push each other in the pool. And Ramona finally like they push each other in the pool and it it seems to finally kind of calm down and it does. And Ramona ends up kissing her friend kind of as an apology. And I mean, I will say I kiss my girlfriends on the lips. I kiss my family members on the lips. So, you know, 
trust me, I'm not saying anything, but you just do kind of get a vibe there with all their friends. And you meet her friend Joni for the first time, who we see throughout the seasons. But you do kind of get a weird vibe. Like, what's happening here? Are they doing threesomes? Or But their kids are there. And it's like, you know what? I kiss my girlfriends on the lips. So whatever. They kiss each other on the lips. They kind of make up. And you see Avery, their daughter, with a friend or maybe one of the other daughters. And she's just disgusting gusted, right? She's like, oh my God, you guys are totally embarrassing. And she kind of stomps off into the house and she screams lesbos in the house. And it was just kind of like hilarious. You can tell Avery, Avery's like the most adult person in the the backyard pool party at that moment. Um, And then we flash back to Alex and Simon in St. Bart's and they're shopping and, you know, walking in and it's, you know, acting like they're spending all this money and drinking champagne. And just it, it's a bit pretentious and obnoxious and then we flash back over to uh, the countess luann's family and they're getting a little puppy i believe it's a little westy he's so cute they they name him aston um and you see the family and it's adorable and they're in their hamptons home and everyone of course is fawning over the adorable puppy and then we flash back to jill's house and she's talking about getting the private plane for none other than ali's detox which is so embarrassing like i said just so uncomfortable for a poor i don't know what is she 14 at this time and she's talking to her about going to fat camp basically and um you know she they open up about talking how hard it is for her to get close to bobby and of course you know she's go over and hug bobby and she makes her hug hug her bobby hug bobby and it's just so awkward and uncomfortable and we find out that the detox camp is in martha's vineyard and they're going to get a private plane so i'm sure it's going to be a pretty penny but bobby approves it at the end and you know so jill's happy and and off ally is going to go to fat camp and that my friends is how they end the premiere episode of real housewives of new york city Turtle time is really one of my most favorite parts of the show because it's where we're going to discuss and go over my hot takes of each of the episodes, discuss some interesting tidbits and snippets of information from each of the episodes or just from Real Housewives of New York City in general. So let's uh, let's let's get into it. But I um, the first thing that the first thing that jumped out to me here is the taglines in general, which I know I already said it, but I just love hearing them. There's something about the music. It's just so nostalgic. I just I loved these. I loved going through this journey of the Real Housewives of New York City, you know, as it was happening. And it's so much fun to go back and watch it all. But I noticed their taglines. If you notice the taglines now, you know, we're in, you know, 13, 14 seasons of some of these original shows. The taglines are clearly, you know, well-constructed, thought of before the 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 season airs. They're recorded separately. It's much more of a production. It's part of why I love these first few seasons of the first few franchise cities, right? Because they weren't they weren't doing a high production level and things like their taglines, and then they took off and now they're a thing. But the taglines you can hear are actually snippets from the episodes over the course of the of the season. So you can hear, you know, the even the the background changes when the audio comes on for each of the taglines, you can hear it changes a bit because all they've done is really cut and pulled it from pieces of of the season, as opposed to what they do now, which is of course carefully draft and think about and you know approve what the tagline is going to be and then separately record it with the intro and all of that. But that was the first, that was, I just love to notice those types of things. 
And then, of course, I immediately remember Bethany. I liked her right away. I found her, and I obviously, millions of other women found her so relatable. You know, she's, she was the the anti-Hamptons, you know, she wasn't rich. She didn't own one house, let alone two houses, right? Um, she, you know, and so she, like I said before, she, she came, she became the Greek chorus or the narrator of the, of the show, at least, you know, the, the series that she, the seasons that she was on and definitely in the beginning, which was perfect because she was more like us, right? Of course there's rich people, you know, living in, in mansions and having homes in, in, you know, the Hamptons that are worth, you know, 20, $30 million. There's people like that, I'm sure who watch the show, but for the remainder of us, I just think Bethany became so relatable because she immediately what you know, she wasn't invited to the parties. She wasn't part of the the group. But the best part was, is she didn't give a fuck. And so she just kind of called them all out for the bullshit, uh, you know, and it was it, it was just great. I liked her right away. I, obviously, a lot of us did. I, she shot to stardom, you know, and became a, a star, you know, very quickly. Um, and I just noticed, you know, she, she talks about that she's the runaway bride and you find out she's been engaged you know, I mean, I don't know what, five times now, I think. Um, and that she's always recycling men and she kind of gives you that over story. And it, it, it was kind of funny to me that she was talking about that because at the same time you see her boyfriend, Jason, number one, who is not her, um, future husband, Jason. It's the first boyfriend she had on the show, the, the wall street banker type, you know, who works, you know, a hundred hours a week and is never around and you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so Jason, number one, there's this scene where he's coming home from work. She's going to make him dinner. Um, he comes through the door of her apartment, her dog cookie runs to greet him. And she's saying, you know, cookie daddy's home. Oh, Jason. Yay. We're so happy. Um, you know, she greets him and kisses him and hugs him. And then, you know, they go in and have the night or whatever. And it just, it was hilarious because she's talking about how she recycles men and she's called the runaway bride and all of that. And if you fast forward to season three, Jason number two, Jason Hoppy, her, you know, would be husband and who she infamously divorced. And, um, she, there's a scene, literally the exact same scene. It's the same apartment. He walks in the door from his, you know, from work, she runs and greet, you know, greets him. Cookie runs and greets him. Cookie daddy's home. She's going to cook him dinner. It's, it was kind of, it was perfect that she was talking about how she recycles men and she was clearly just kind of reliving the same thing from Jason to Jason. Anyway. And I also noted that she, she wants to live downtown. She notes right away, you know, that's kind of where she wants to go. I think she was on the upper East side or the upper West side before. And she does end up once she, you know, sells her business and spoiler alert, makes a lot of money. She does end up moving downtown. So she, she sticks true to herself throughout, you know, these first seasons of, of who she is and what she wants. Um, and which is great. And it's probably why she, part of why she's so relatable. And, you know, she says things like, you know, in New York city, you can hide in your apartment when they're talking about, you know, the Hamptons, you're out and about and, um, and those kind of things. But like I said, but I liked Bethany right away. She, she was, she was the common sense, you know, head out of the, but I liked Bethany right away. And, and, and I, you know, became a, a huge Bethany fan as the seasons went on, not surprisingly. And then I noticed with Jill, you know, I thought it was funny. She separates herself or at least tries to from Ramona in these first few episodes. And she says things like she's known her for, you know, four to five years, very minimally. She's like a tennis friend. She doesn't really know her. 
But by the time we get to season three, they both are talking about how they've had a 15 year friendship and not that it was incredibly close, but that they've, you know, run in the same circles for about 15 years. So I do think it's hilarious at first how Jill, you know, is kind of like, oh God, Ramona, she's, we run in the same circles, but she's kind of a partier and crazy. And I definitely want to act like, you know, snub my nose at her and I'm, I'm not friends with her. It's, it's, oh God, it's so good. And then Alex, I should say Alex and Simon, what do they start calling him? Silex. You know, it's, it's so interesting, but we get our first kind of creepy version of Simon and, and creepy vibes from him. There's this scene where he, they're, they're in public talking to people and he, she has, I believe it's like a tube top or a crop top or something like that. And he pulls as they're talking, as she's talking, I think he pulls her crop top up where he's almost like touching her boob and pulling her top up in public while they're talking to people. And the weird thing was, is the top wasn't even from what I remember, like far down or anything. And it just was one of those things. And you can tell she kind of becomes uncomfortable with it. And it was just very, I don't know. It was awkward. It was the first creepy Simon sighting. We'll have many creepy Simon sightings over the course of the next couple of seasons. So be prepared. Um, but we also see one of the first signs that Simon possibly drinks too much you know, I thought it was interesting. He starts out, I think when they're shopping, you know, he starts out with champagne. And then I think when they're done shopping, you know, he says something like, I need a, I need a stiff drink. I need a hard drink or something like that. And it's, you know, it's like in the afternoon, they're shopping. You know, he's kind of, I hate to say it, but he's kind of got those broken capillaries, uh, you know, across his nose and cheeks, like you see in, you tend to see in people who drink too much. Um, and then you, you know, he it's so awkward but there's another awkward moment where they're leaving shopping and they're kind of okay yay let's go get a drink and have lunch and she's off and he kind of grabs her hand and pulls her back and is like can I get a kiss and she awkwardly has to like kiss him and it's just again it's just it's off it's like ew this dude is ugh. yeah I was I remember trying to give him the benefit of the doubt in the beginning and I just was finding it so difficult because I was getting you know like hair standing on the back of my neck feeling when he was doing the stuff. Anywho, but at least she wears what they buy. Even as, as obnoxious as that shopping spree was, she does show up in other pieces of, of the season wearing what she's, what she's worn. And actually throughout the seasons, um, I think she wears a pair of shoes, um, to one of Ramona's renewal, true renewal events that comes up in a, in a later season. Um, I think she wears that, that, um, satin gown that she gets to the to the Met Ball. So at least she's wearing what she's buying and not being totally, uh, you know, wasteful, although it is obnoxious. And then I did note that there was one of her interview outfits is, is the same that she wore that to Scary Island um, in season three. And everybody, I just... I can't wait for us to do a deep dive into the scary island episodes. I mean, we got to wait till season three, but guys, it just gets so juicy. It, it, this is such a good piece of the New York City franchise. It's just, I can't wait. So anyway, we'll get there soon enough. And then we've got Ramona, you know, like I said, she's, you kind of get your first glimpse of her and there even was weird vibes. Like I said, at her, at her party in her backyard, I was like, what are they, you know, with her and Mario, I just, I, the, you could get the sense that they were super partiers. Right. Um, and then we also get our first glimpse into how mature Avery is her daughter who, you know, like I said, she's a 20 something year old woman now, but you know, she's 12 at the time and you see she's very mature and, and totally embarrassed by her partying parents and, you know, their crazy antics. 
And then last but not least, I did notice that uh, Andrew Cohen, as he was listed at that time, is listed as an executive producer. So I noticed that Andy Cohen isn't the producer, an executive producer on every one of the Housewives um, franchise cities, but he is at least in this first season. And I believe he stayed on throughout. I'll, I'll correct myself if I'm wrong as we go through, but I believe he stayed on as executive producer throughout. Well, everyone, that just about does it for our deep dive into season one episode one of the real housewives of new york city meet the wives join us next week where we're going to do a deep dive and breakdown of episode two the hamptons see y'all then